have open eyes to see, open ears to hear, open hearts to conceive, open minds to receive, and open mouths to confess all the good things that God has already done for us through Jesus Christ. Um, I believe that the Lord led for this next series in February on the radical love of God. Um, the word radical means to bring change and transformation. Uh, it goes against the, the social norm and the status quo. And it affects the fundamental nature of something. Jesus was radical. <laughs> when when he, In his incarnation... I just had a thought, but that's going to, we're going to develop that for later because you've been incarnated as well. Um, but he brought change and transformation. The children of Israel had been doing things a certain way. The nation of Israel had been doing something a certain way for thousands of years, and all of a sudden this man shows up, and he's radical, but he's not violent, he's not a militant, he's not military in nature at all. He's just loving people and he's changing the culture. He said, we're not going to do things the way that we... He said, this was preached up until this point, but we're not going to preach that anymore. We're going to, preach, we're going to talk about the kingdom. Uh, he, then he preaches a, a sermon on a mountain and he gives the constitution of the kingdom and he says, the law has said and you followed that, but now I say. Radically changing the fundamentals of everything that they had believed. Now, if I came into your church as a brand new pastor and you had been doing certain things, for instance, Jennifer was in a church one time where they sang the same song every year and they had been doing that for 30 years. Every Sunday morning, the same exact song was sang at the same time because 30 years prior to that, something happened. There was a stir, a move, somebody got saved, and now that became a formula. And now I step in and say, we're not going to do that anymore. Do you think anybody would get mad? Would that be a little bit radical? We've been doing We've never done it that way. That happens time and time again in the Scripture. It says, well, we've never seen that done before or done like that. Jesus was radical. He was radical in His love. Listen to me. He was radical in His inclusion. Most then and most today weren't, are not prepared for His radical love. What do they do? They try to tame and domesticate. His love and who He is. But His life and ministry won't allow that. So Scripture tells us we have to get a few fundamental things down about this radical love because it first comes from Him. Anybody agree with that? Okay. First John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. Would you lock into that right there right now? He first loved us. Matter of fact, in Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 5, it says God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In the context of that same scripture, verse 8 says, but God showed His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to change, to die for us. He was radical enough to think that His death would change us. Awaken that butterfly because the DNA was already in us. 
but the blood that cut this covenant that made us aware of that was because it was God's love demonstrated to us, poured out to us in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. First Corinthians, first let me say that Romans the 8th chapter declares that nothing can separate you from this love. This is foundational. If we're going to be radical with our love, we have to review that he has radical love for us. Um, Corey Asbury was criticized when he wrote the song, The Reckless Love of God. People said, God's not reckless. He was when it came to loving you. Relentless. Radical and reckless love of God. And nothing, demons, angels, principalities, powers, height, depth, width, nothing, this world, the world to come, nothing, somebody say nothing, nothing, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so we've first been loved by Him. He demonstrated that love for us with no... Um, condition on our side of it and he's poured out that love in our hearts he continues to pour out that love in our hearts through Christ Jesus and nothing can separate us from this love foundational principle must understand that rock solid now let's build on that 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter verse 5 says that love is not arrogant love is not prideful I like the version that says it does not insist on its own way in other words, it's not self-centered and it's not self-seeking. So if we have the radical love of God, which is in the Greek agape, unconditional, there's no conditions on it, it's not a transactional love. Most love that we have in our culture and society today is a transactional love. In other words, what can I get from you in return for my love and vice versa so we tra there's a transaction that is made and then I'll love you conditions placed upon that and then it becomes selfish self-seeking self-centered now throughout this month here of February I want to help us step out of the shadow and into his light you want to do that let's step out of walking in the shadow when the substance of the light of God is what can be felt, seen, touched, sensed. I want to encourage you with information over the next three weeks um, that will stretch you. It's from Scripture. It will help give you an awareness of the radical love of God because uh, grace life, we must be radical with our love for others. I don't care if they criticize us. I don't care if they say they let gays down there or transgenders, or this ethnic group, or that ethnic group, we need to be known as having radical love that is inclusive. It's a love that will remove grave clothes from you and from others. It will loose you from the bondage of trying to measure up to culture. You ever heard of trying to keep up with the Smiths and the Jones? I want to take the grave clothes off of you. I want to loose you from that bondage so that you in turn can loose others from their grave clothes and their bondages. So our goal is through these resources, we want to give them to you, but they're not going to help you if you don't study them, meditate upon them, practice them. 
and then that will bring health to your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. I like what the beloved John Apostle wrote, that you will succeed in all things and be in health just as your soul does prosper. Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Foundational. He loved me first. Freedom finds its completion, complete expression in love. And then you're free to live the life of your original design. So go with me to Galatians, the fifth chapter. This will be our launching point for this morning because I'm going to talk to you this morning about radically loving yourself. Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 14. Paul says, for all of the law, he's talking about 613 laws, 10 commandments, can be summarized in one grand statement. Because look at me for just a second. We are not under law, we are under grace. But all of that could be summed up in one statement. Love your neighbor as you care for and love yourself. So I must understand my identity in Christ. Lisa talked to us about that last week. That's from the garden. That's been the problem, our identity. A fallen mindset of who we are. It, you know, She was giving me an example last night. When a kid is throwing a tantrum and you pick that kid up and you're just you're not screaming and hollering, you're just holding him love. He will kick and scream and holler, but eventually he will succumb to the love. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how our brain works. You can't love your neighbor that way if you don't love yourself according to scripture. But if you don't know the love of Christ, for you, now see, this is teeter-totting on, and it's radical because um, we're not heard much about loving ourselves because it can become arrogance, it can become pride, uh, self-seeking. I'm not talking about that. I have to understand, be lost in the love that he had for me that's radical for me to understand that I'm loved so I can love myself. When I don't think, see... When you have a picture and your imagination of God has been in such a way that He only loves you when you do certain things and you're acting a certain way, then when you fail to act that way or do those things, then you don't feel loved. When it's quite the opposite, His love for you never changes regardless of what side of the fence you are on with your behavior but he will continue to tell you that you need to be on this side of the fence. As sons and daughters of God, you have responsibility, but even when you're throwing that temper tantrum, he will pick you up, hold you, and love you till you succumb to that love so that you can love yourself. The word love here in Galatians 5 is philio. <laughs> I was trying to practice that last night. It means to approve of, to like, to treat affectionately, to be desirous of preserving one's life. And that's talking about loving yourself. Do you desire to preserve your life? <laughs> I, I do. Uh, I want to like myself. I want to treat myself affectionately. So I've asked myself, as well as others that I trust, 
and I've searched out what it means and how can I love myself without being selfish or self-centered or arrogant. Three things came to mind. Number one, it takes mindfulness. Having an open and curious, non-judging attitude, not over-identifying with negative narratives about yourself. You have to have mindfulness. The mindfulness that Christ loves you. That you, your identity is in Him and nothing else. Nothing else defines me. Not my past, not my failures, not people, not society or culture. He defines me. His love has defined me. That is my identity and I am mindful of that love. So I don't judge myself. Listen, I'm convinced that I judge people more when I've been judging myself. I'm going to talk about that here in a second. Number two, self-kindness. Be kind to yourself. Don't poke my eye out. Treating yourself kindly rather than harshly. Extending the same care and support to myself that I would towards a loved one. And then self-compassion. Mindfulness, self-kindness, self-compassionate. Much more effective than self-criticism. Anybody ever criticized herself? Got caught up in the shame game. Guilt and condemnation. And they lead to inner rebellion. And here is, this has been so expressed in my lifetime when I've seen people. That brings people to quit. It just, they're done. Self-compassion gives you hope and helps you begin to love yourself. Look at this comment on the screen. Most of us loathe ourselves instead of love ourselves. That, lo that uh, loathe is a disgust. And most people, when they get into their subconscious and they really, their imagination, they loathe themselves. Whether it's over body image, finances, a past failure, trauma, it, you know, we just loathe ourselves. I find it amazing that you can scroll through social media, Instagram, TikTok, name whatever social media platform you want, and as you scroll through it, you will find influencers, influencers who are trying to teach you about self-love, self-acceptance, self-awareness. I don't hear very much of that in church. I see a lot of people shaking their head. Now, I want to tell you that my culture growing up in church was based in self-denial, not self-love. Almost to an abusive level. I know what the scripture says. Um, a lot of times taken out of context and married to a scripture that Paul quotes that he died daily that has nothing to do with picking up a cross. It was literally facing death eyeball to eyeball every day, whether he was going to be thrown to the lions or someone was coming, because he had switched teams. <laughs> He was persecuting and killing, and now he was uh, the one that was being persecuted and sought after to be killed. So he was facing death every day. It wasn't a um, false humility of sackcloth and ashes and bloody knees that we have a picture of, of self-denial. Um, I was so overran with a message of self-denial that not only could I not love myself, I was too busy dying to live. Because death was the ultimate. 
when I finally got to the end and died, then I could receive a crown. Then I could be uh, without sickness. Then I could have all tears. I believe that's for, for an abundant life here and now with ramifications and expectations for a quality of quantity of life after death. That's called Zoe. Uh, I understand that the Bible teaches us to prefer ourselves above or prefer others above ourselves. Yet I find that difficult to do because there were so many complex reasons that I'd been struggling with, like self-worth, the barrage of toxic self-denial sermons continued to haunt me through my life. Self-love is important because Jesus thinks that you are to die for. And if Jesus thinks you are to die for, and he loved you enough to die for you, then you need to have a little bit of self-worth and self-love. It starts with the unraveling of the inner conflict about your worth and your identity in Christ. Because if you don't have, if you have that fallen mindset of your identity, you won't love yourself because you're too busy working to earn his love for you. But if you can find your identity wrapped up in what He has already done for you and receive the fact that He loved you first, then you can begin to have some good self-esteem and some self-worth. I think this is important, and I see it on many of your faces this morning that you need this. Here are a few things that we can learn about loving ourselves, some radical concepts. Number one, let go of every non-loving feeling and disapproval of yourself. Here's how fast you need to let go of that. If I had a raging fire here right now and I took my poker and I stoked the fire and I left that poker in there and got it red hot so that it's glowing when I brought it out and I handed it to you, that's how quick you need to drop all of your self-disapproval, your self-pity, your loathing. Drop it like a hot poker. Get rid of it. Practice setting boundaries for yourself. In two areas, in real life and online. Set some boundaries for yourself. Because I think that I found myself sometimes finding, looking to see how many likes I got. I'll just be honest with you. So I've got to set some boundaries in real life and online. Because if I my self-worth isn't caught up in how many likes or dislikes I got. But if I spend screen time looking at it, I'm going to find myself thinking, well, this one didn't like that. I wonder how come he didn't like that or she didn't say that. And then I begin to have self-doubt, low self-esteem. You don't owe people an explanation or a chance to negotiate. Stephen Furtick said, you have to catch a vision of the version of you that God sees. Say it again and it's on the screen. You need to catch a vision of the version of you that God sees. This is self-awareness. Poor self-image, your mental picture of yourself, when it is poor, will cause health problems, anxiety, depression. But Psalm 139 Verses 13 and 14, David says, You formed me in my inward parts. You knit me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. 
You were created with intelligent design, with purpose, with passion, and with a desire that God loves you and He gave you a free will to love Him back because He first loved us. Don't compare yourself to other people. Self-worth is never based in comparison. I'll tell you what comes from comparison is self-pity. It comes when we compare ourselves to others. Listen to this. Comparing your abilities, your assets, your appearance, your achievement, even your adversities. Well, I've been more, through more than she's been through. When we start comparing our troubles, our adversities, our appearance, they've got more than I've got, I wish I had what they had, robs you of your joy, calls you to self-loathe. Listen to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 12 from the Living Bible. Oh, don't worry, I wouldn't dare say that I'm as wonderful as these men, these other men, who tell you how great they are. Their trouble is that they are only comparing themselves which, with each other and measuring themselves against their own little ideas. Now, the Living Bible said it. I didn't. What stupidity? I didn't say that. That's what the Living Bible says. Lisa was looking at my notes and she said, don't call people stupid. I said, I didn't. Paul did. <laughs> when you compare yourself to other people, Use self-talk to encourage yourself. This is biblical. I know you talk to yourself because I talk to myself, but it's what I'm telling myself that will encourage me or discourage me. Because in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 30th chapter, verse 6, the people sought to stone David, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He didn't let what the people wanted to do to him cause his self-worth to go down he encouraged himself in the Lord. He talked to himself. Challenge the negative narrative of yourself and stick to the facts. Assuming will lead you into low self-esteem. You assume you know what another person believes or thinks about you and you're going to allow that to affect your self-love. Don't assume. I like this one. Forgive yourself. Can I tell you why you ought to forgive yourself? Because Jesus already has. Think about it. If Jesus has already forgiven you, where did He do that? At the cross, not when you ask Him. He forgave you at the cross. When, you're, when you just say, Lord, forgive me, you're really just saying, I agree that you've already forgiven me through your blood. So if Jesus forgave you, you need to forgive yourself. Decide what it's going to take for you to forgive yourself. If your behavior has hurt you through um, addictions, avoidance, unwise decisions, self-mutilation, whatever you've done to hurt yourself, forgive yourself because Jesus already has. If you don't forget yourself, you begin to play the regret game. And as you regret things through your life and you don't forgive yourself it's like a poison eating you up on the inside it will even cause heart problems 
a, a, a rapid heartbeat, high blood pressure, stress. And it leads to that narrative negative, and it's a can't-do machine. I can't do. I can't do. I can't do. Why? Because you haven't forgiven yourself. Hmm. Learn to love yourself because Papa loved you first. Now, I realize that we all have past hurts. Okay? I'm not denying that we have past hurts. But listen, it's time to move from your trauma to triumph. I'm speaking to somebody right now. It's time to move from your tri trauma to triumph. You may have been damaged, but you're not destroyed. I love 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verses 8 and 9. Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times, we don't know what to do. But quitting is not an option. But if you don't love yourself, you'll quit. With loving yourself, you can get rid of this severe depression, these health problems and blood pressure issues. Better yet, you will keep feeling happier and lighter. Jennifer, if you'll come. I've found that in loving myself, contentment is involved. I just finished a book that Matthew read first and gave to me called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's difficult for me to find time for self-care and self-love when I'm always in a hurry. You know, busy doesn't equal productivity. <laughs> and sometimes I'm so busy that I can't be content, so I'm going to give you an acronym for slow. This is part of loving yourself. Number one, stop the constant push for more. Be content with what you have. Learn, listen to me, learn to say no. S L O, observe and practice rest. If you're not observing and practicing rest, you will get to a point where your body will force you to rest. But if you, if you learn to observe and practice rest, it's slowing down. See, if I think that I have to work to earn God's love, all I'm going to get is exhausted. But if I can rest in the fact that He finished the work for my righteousness and has given me everything that pertains to life and godliness, and every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above, and He's not a turning around shadow type of guy that every time I do something he no he's still giving me those good gifts I need to rest in that and practice that and then W I need to wake up every day and be intentional about loving myself and loving others slow down be content let's get rid of frustration guilt worry sadness confusion the last few weeks, and I don't know, when I get to the Song of Solomon, it tears me up. What's Shulamite? Is that how you say that? The Shulamite woman is speaking here. If you can ever read the Song of Solomon in the Passion Translation, man, you can see who's saying what. And when the king speaks, it's, it's Christ. When the Shulamite woman speaks, that's us. This defined <laughs> Song of Solomon 
the first chapter, verse 6, in the Good News Translation, defined my religious journey. My brothers were angry with me and made me work in the vineyard. Sound like church to me. All the leadership was angry at me and trying to get me to do something for God and stressing me out and made me work in the vineyard. Listen to what she said. I had no time to care for myself. Now here's the unhealthy side of that. A lot of people have gotten hold of even listening to us at Grace Life and they've quit church. They don't think they have to do anything. And they become spiritual couch potatoes. God's not angry with you. I'm not angry with you. But when you find out that Jesus loved you and has spread out, spread that love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and that nothing can separate you from that love, then there's a desire out of devotion, not out of duty. Because I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Not by them, but for them. And then I have, I'm conscious of observing and practicing rest and not just being busy with no productivity. And I can care for myself and still work in the vineyard. See how that, it's just a little tweak that connected the dots. So many of us have gotten caught up in taking care of others, rightfully so, but too often to the tune of not caring for ourselves. We must take care of our bodies. Understand that sometimes religious expectations offer unrealistic standards. And when you find that any religious expectation, even if it's coming from me, talk to me about it, because I don't intend to put those on you, because I'm not one to offer unrealistic expectations because I lived under that standard for too long. One of the points that I had that I didn't mention and it's not in my notes is we've got to stop this mindset of perfection. Okay. There is a difference between excellence and perfection. When the praise teams comes up here and they practice they're striving for excellence, not perfection, because you're not going to hit every note. You're going to miss a word here and there. But see, perfection, it took secular counseling for me to realize that I was always trying to be perfect. And to, to, so much to the point that I expected others around me to be living up to the same level of perfection that I was living up to. And that's why people called me an arrogant prick, if I can just tell you the truth. What they said, no, I'm not joking. Hopefully that that has not continued in my reputation. Because God's changed me because I'm not living up to religious expectations that are unrealistic. Listen, the only measure that you have is Jesus. And you've already measured up. You've already measured up. Start loving yourself. Because next week we're going to talk about loving others. That's radical. But I think we had to start with the concept that He loved us first so that we can love ourselves because that's the way He intends it for us to love our neighbors. 
who is my neighbor? I'll talk about that next week, how you can radically love other people. Grace Life Church, if we can begin to buy into this concept, and we will be radical, not on Sunday mornings in the hour and a half that we are here, but outside of these walls, not only will our church begin to reach beyond its capacity, but the community that you live in, the schools where your children go, your workplaces, will begin to have the residue of the kingdom all over them. You want to have, and there's no begging and pleading. Miracles, signs, and wonders will follow you. It will be instantaneously, it will be out of the natural flow. I told you a few weeks ago that our heartbeat is the rhythm of grace. So we're in tune with that rhythm of grace where things become a natural flow. I'm longing for it. And uh, I believe that it's at our fingertips. We just need to start loving ourselves and walking in the identity that Christ has set before us. Would you stand with me? If I could encourage you on this radical loving yourself to get into the Song of Solomon and read it in the Passion Translation, if you can. Just all you have to do is a Google search, read Passion Translation online. It pops up, it's free. Then you can search Song of Solomon and just read because it's it's the love story. It's Jesus talking to us, the bride, the Shulamite woman, and it's the Shulamite woman talking about to the other brides, the other women of her lover, the king, Christ. It's a love story. Man, when you read it, that's why I get so tore up because it starts dealing with me about how much he really loves me, what he's done for me. And he is my beloved and I am his. I can love myself because he first loved me. Would you bow your heads and just contemplate and imagine the Father's arms around you, even if you're kicking and screaming. He loves you.